You know, it's fun to see the church decorated, and I know you're probably decorating your house um, and uh, getting things ready for the Christmas season. And uh, we're really excited, just as a church family. I know Jordan shared it earlier, but um, we are, uh, last year we kind of started this, but this year really want to continue to really make the Advent season uh, special and to make sure that it's uh, that we're facilitating an environment as the people of God, that the focus remains on Jesus amidst everything else going on, and that we get to celebrate that properly, not just on a Sunday morning, but as families. And we just encourage you just to dive deeper uh, individually, and if you're with your roommates or with your family, just to dive deeper into just the history of this season and uh, and just to dive deeper in the Word of God and to continue to feed yourself on, uh, on the prophecies, on the things that have been fulfilled and everything surrounding uh, the birth of Christ and even as we look towards His second coming. And so it's just it's an important time. And I think for our family, we're just trying to say, hey, this one month out of the year, we really put an emphasis uh, and we try to do that in every way. So even when you walk in our home, this is what you experience and feel when we talk about it, when we are at church, or we've got things at school, or we've got things with family, or the weekends. We're trying to continually bring back these memories and to put the focus here on Jesus. So I would encourage you to do that. And, um, you know, uh, as we approach Christmas again, our world gets busier and busier. I don't think the world has gotten slower um, even amidst the last couple of years, it hadn't slowed down much at all. Um, and, you know, I think that as Christians, we have an invitation every year around this time to really put the focus uh, back on Jesus and his kingdom. You know, Advent, the word, uh, it means coming or arriving, and it's derived from the Latin word adventus. And um, it's put as Advent because we're celebrating Christ's birth. But um, our first records of Advent actually come from uh, Spain and Gaul during the fourth century. And the earliest celebrations were actually more so connected to Epiphany, talking about Christ revealing himself when new Christians would, would focus in on the times of baptism and fasting and confession of sins and prayer. It wasn't until the Romans in the sixth century who redefined the celebration of Advent to focus on the coming of Christ in history. But unlike our modern celebration of Advent, um, it was his second coming, which they had in view. Today is Advent Sunday. And for four Sundays, we as a church are going to be celebrating Advent together. And we title this series, Maranatha, Come Lord Jesus. And just to give you a little bit more meaning behind this series, it's an Aramaic word that means the Lord is coming, or come, O Lord. The early church, if you remember, they faced a great deal of persecution. And um, for a Christian under Roman rule at the time, it wasn't easy. You see, the Romans required Christians to bow down, to yield to Caesar, and to profess that he was God. But a Christian couldn't do that because they knew there's only one God, one Lord. And in good conscience, they could not say Caesar is Lord. And therefore, Romans uh, took it upon themselves in many provinces and areas to persecute and imprison um, and inflict pain and even lead them to death 
for Christians because they would not yield to Caesar as Lord. They would only yield to Jesus as Lord. But living under these very harsh, uh, difficult conditions, the believers came up with a saying that would boost their morale. When they would greet each other, they would say, Maranatha. They would say, Maranatha, because it became a common greeting that replaced the Jewish greeting, Shalom. So they would greet one another as Maranatha, which for them had a much deeper meaning than come Lord Jesus. It was a meaning of hope. It was Maranatha. When you are down, when you are depressed, when you are scared, Maranatha. There's hope coming. Christ is our hope. It was a reminder to Christians in the marketplace and in homes and seeing each other who are suffering to say, no, remember, forget what's going on here. This is hard, but Maranatha. There is hope coming because the believers knew there was not going to be the peace on earth that they had hoped for or wished for in its completeness, that that would only come one day with a new heaven and a new earth. So they were reminding one another, Maranatha, put your hope in him. Christ has come and he's coming again. So for us, it should be a reminder for us when you hear the phrase Maranatha, to remember that Christ has come and that he's coming again and that our hope is not in the things of this world. It doesn't mean we can't be hopeful. It doesn't mean we can't celebrate. But in the end, our hope has to be centered on Christ alone or else everyone else will fail you. Every person in your life will fail you at some point. Directly, indirectly, intentionally, or unintentionally, it just will happen. Jesus Christ will never fail you. He will never fail you. Things may not go your way, and you may think, well, Jesus, I prayed for that. That didn't happen. But he's so good and loving. He knows what you need, when you need it, and how to deliver it. Just because it doesn't go your way does not mean Jesus is in the wrong. It just means we had a wrong interpretation. The timing was off, or he wanted to get us something deeper in us, and so we didn't get the candy right then. He said, I want you to wait. But if you trust that Jesus is good, if you trust that he's ultimately good and that he has your best interests in mind and he is trustworthy and true and holy, then no matter what it is going on, no matter what the request, you can trust that however it goes down, he's still good. And in the end, it's going to be okay. So Maranatha, I say to you today. Now, throughout this series, we're going to be looking at some passages in the Old Testament that are uh, prophecies and speaking into the second coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ, and is talking about the Messiah. And we're going to look at some different uh, prophets today. We're going to look at Isaiah. And I'm not going to unpack the whole uh, book of Isaiah. It's a long one. Um, but I'm just going to pick out a passage today. But to give you a little bit of context, um, Isaiah, his name actually means Yahweh is salvation. That's who Isaiah is. And he served in the southern kingdom of Judah. If you remember at the time, you had the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And then you had this big split, big division. So in the north, you had the 10 tribes. In the south, you had the two. And Judah was the predominant tribe. And so um, uh, Isaiah served um, as God's chosen kind of prophet for Judah. Now, Isaiah preached at a critical time in the history of the Jewish people. Because they had been so divided and each had their own king, they were constantly in conflict with each other, the northern and southern kingdom, and they had the other nations 
and, 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 uh, and armies to deal with uh, besides just the, all the infighting. So you had these powerful nations around, and Isaiah would hear from God and then advise and give counsel and prophesy to the kings, right? The prophet would go to the king, and the king would sometimes listen, but more often than not, they didn't, right? More often than not, they would say something, and the king would say, oh, you imprison that guy. Get that guy out of my way. They would listen at times. When they listened, things went well. When they ignored the prophet, things didn't go so well. Isaiah, he tried to advise three successive kings. They were Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Judah itself in all of this was going through a lot of trouble. This is the, this is the context in which Isaiah lived and how he wrote what he was writing into. They lived in times of rebellion. And Judah, honestly, if you look at the history year after year, they were constantly on the edge of like utter destruction from the Assyrians or from the Egyptians or others because of their constant rebellion towards God. But God, in the end, he did have mercy and spared them to some degree. And so Isaiah, as we're gonna see, he would proclaim a message of repentance from sin, which would lead to hope, which would lead to restoration. And what you'll see over and over is them prophesying things, and there's not a turning from the wicked hearts, not a turning from worshiping false idols, not a turning from disobeying God. Things would go poorly. But even when things went poorly, there was still an opportunity, right? Think about how God deals with us now, right? There's still an opportunity, even in our most broken places. You can probably think back in your own life or in a family's life or a friend's life and say, Man, I was down. I thought I was, this was it. I was at the lowest I've ever been. But then God showed up. But then this friend called me. Then I got this text from this guy I haven't talked to in years. But then, and you see God's mercy, it's like hovering. It's like in the air. It's like that mist is just there. It's there. And it's there waiting. But sometimes we just go through life and we ignore it. And I think when you look at, Isaiah and what Judah was doing. Man, they were ignoring God. They were busying themselves and doing things. But when the prophet spoke and got the king's ear, they made changes. So that's what we're gonna look at today, this passage in Isaiah chapter 11, really in all this tumultual time of Israel being on the edge of utter destruction and knowing they're in rebellion and things aren't going well. This is what Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Let's pause there. Now, has anyone gone out and cut a tree down before? You cut a tree, chainsaw, if you try the axe, the axe takes a while. I don't know how those guys used to do it. Maybe my axe is super dull, but I do it. It's kind of more so fun for me and the kids. We just keep hitting it, and it's just nothing happens. Until you borrow a friend's chainsaw, then you just take care of it, right? But if you think about a stump, okay, and you, let's, let's just take the idea of a forest, right? I know, sadly, there's been a lot of forest fires in different parts of our country, and when a forest fire comes through, it's either burning the trees to a crisp or burning them down to the stumps, or when trees are cut down to the stump, and Oftentimes, those stumps just remain stumps. But at times, those stumps, because of their root structure is so deep, is able to reemerge 
and the branches can still come out of a stump. Doesn't always happen, but it can happen. So even as Isaiah writes here, he's acknowledging the reality, and he says what? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, who is Jesse? Jesse was David's dad, right? And what's interesting is Isaiah prophesies. He could have said from the stump of David, which everybody knew, King David, David, right? But he actually says Jesse, who's a less well-known person, but was the father. And remember when the prophet Samuel came to anoint the king, he came to Jesse and he asked for his sons. And he lined up all of his sons and he says, God, is this it? God, is this it? Is this the guy? This, looks like they, this guy looks really good. This guy looks sharp. Hey, maybe this is the guy. It's none of these guys. Remember, I'm not judging by what the man sees. I see the heart. It's what God sees. God sees the heart. Call the other son. David comes down. Hey, this is him, the squirrely one. This guy, yep, he's a future king. He picks David. So Isaiah says, hey, in the line of David, in the line of Judah, remember, talking to the southern kingdom, in the line of Judah, which David's in the line of Judah, here we are in this line, in this kingdom, one day, there will be a shoot will come forth. But not just any shoot. It'll come forth and it'll bear fruit. But then he goes in to describe what this person will be like. I'm gonna read it again. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You see, God would be faithful to raise someone up one day. They didn't know who it was going to be. They knew somebody in the line of David. If you would have heard this, you would have known the story of Jesse David. You would have known somebody in the kingship in the line of David would emerge one day who would have the spirit upon them. But it also means that it, it doesn't mention by his sword, by other things, human knowledge or what they possess. It is a spiritual endeavor. It is by the spirit will this one lead us out. Now, I just want to pause. Let's fast forward really quick. Because you all know who he's talking about, Jesus. Let's fast forward really quick. Jesus, as he begins his ministry, right? He goes to the Jordan River. John the Baptist is there. John the Baptist is baptizing people in the River Jordan. Jesus shows up. John says, I can't baptize you. Jesus says, sure you can, more or less. Jesus gets baptized. He goes down in the water. He comes up. And then what happens? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes down in the form of a dove, and it comes in what? Rest on him. Doesn't just give him a kiss or a hug or a bump. He comes to rest on him. This was written 700 plus years before this ever happened, nearly 800 years before this ever happened. The Spirit of the Lord. So in that moment, if you were someone that knew your history and you're watching John the Baptist baptize this man and you're seeing everything and you're hearing the voice of God, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased in the Spirit of God. And it's like, whoa, this is all coming together. This is him. And if you're really astute, 
Maybe there was a few there, I don't know, who were like, wait, Isaiah said something. Who's this guy's grandpa? Who's this? Wait a minute. Wait, this is it. There had to be somebody there. You know, the like, the uber nerd who was taking notes and knew it all. They knew. And they studied. Right? It was, no, 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 they knew. Oh, that would have been so cool. Wait, the Spirit of God is on them. It's the Holy Spirit. Which means wisdom, understanding. You look at that one way and say, that's like the leadership. It's the wisdom Understanding Solomon cried out for one thing, I want wisdom, and God gave him wisdom. This world is never known. But he gave the Messiah this, this root who came forth, this shoot who came forth. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, and might. Counsel and might. His plans, his purposes will be fulfilled through the counsel, the spirit, the might of the spirit, the power of the spirit. Then the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Whenever I read the fear of the Lord, you think of holiness. It's like you get in the presence of God and there's something. Every time you read in the Bible, someone coming in the presence of God, there's a, it's like the holiness of God's on display. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. We don't talk about the fear of the Lord a lot. Maybe we should. We need to. But the fear of the Lord is that submitted, is that respect, is that deep honor, is that yes, Lord. It's not the back-talking type, arguing, negotiating, it's none of that. It's like, you are Lord, and I fear for my life right now. You could take it away right now. You could take it all away right now. You could end me in this moment. But you love me, and I will respect you and revere you. Is the fear of the Lord. Do you understand? If you don't have the fear of the Lord, then it's very challenging to actually love God with all you have. I, I firmly believe that, and you'll see over and over in the scriptures, even Christ himself is so submitted in nature to the Father. But it's not, it's not a fear like, don't come near me. It's an awe. Does it make any sense? It's not a runaway like darkness. Like it's a, whoa, I am unworthy, <laughs> right? I am not even, it's John the Baptist. I'm not even worthy. I'm tired. This, I mean, this, this is, whoa, it's the awe. And when we talk about this season and this Advent season, I don't want you to miss the awe, the Whoa, God, the take a break and look at the stars. I don't do it enough. Just wow. You know, like stare at someone's baby if you don't have one. Just wow. <laughs> Holy cow. I mean, oh, whoa. Lord, you did how? I don't even pause for a moment and take it in. Wow, God. That's the reverence. That means your words matter. Your actions matter. That means your thoughts matter. When you have a healthy fear of the Lord, the thought life matters just as much as the words. When you don't have a fear of the Lord, you actually just deal with these because that's what people care about. They don't see this and this. A healthy fear of the Lord means actually know everything's in check. 
Do you understand the difference? The holiness does not come from, I'm going to wash your mouth out with some soap. So stop cursing or stop saying that. That's, that's low bar, I'll just say. That's, not, that's a worldly standard. Be nice in the interview. You know what I'm saying? Don't yell at customers. Customer service training. Just don't curse at the customers. That's not good. Okay. If your standard is a worldly customer service standard, you've missed it. No, because if, if Jesus is teaching customer service, he's saying, hey, don't even allow a thought to go against that customer. Bless them when they curse you. Like in your thoughts and with your words, serve them, even help them, seek to understand them, be kind to them, even though they're being crazy. Just no. And when they walk away, don't talk to your, don't talk to your coworker about how terrible that customer was. When they walk away, say, man, I really hope they get God's love today. Amen. You know what I'm saying? You'd be the weirdest customer service person ever because that's not how they operate. But if you operate with this mindset of the Spirit of God, the same Spirit in Christ Jesus is the same Spirit in you. It's not just Isaiah prophesying one day this man will come and the Holy Spirit flies away with Jesus when he goes and ascends to heaven. That's actually the exact opposite. Jesus showed us how to live with the Spirit. And then he said, now I'm going to go and I'm sending him to you. So now he's going to come with you. He's going to come rest on you, reside in you. Keep going in verse three through five. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. There that is again. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of of his loins. Fear the Lord. Righteous judge. Making equitable decisions. And yet discipline and judgment are coming. Just to summarize, and actually when you look at this, you can think back to Ephesians chapter 6. Later on in the New Testament, Paul writes about the full armor of God. You can actually connect the dots back to some of these phrases right here that he even picks up on in these themes when he talks about it. Because it's not just putting on the armor of God. Do you see? It's putting on the Messiah. Does that make sense? It's not, I'll put the belt on, but not the helmet. It's like, no, no, no. You can't, it's all or nothing. Right? You can't just put this on your feet and just, that's not the way. The way is putting Christ on Right? Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ on me, in me. That is what we are called to be. It is the full armor. It's actually just putting on full Jesus. If I can say it that way. It's just I'm immersed in Jesus is the full armor of God. Because he had all the weapons. He had all the, he had it all. He had all the defenses. But he will judge according to reality rather than perception, right? We judge off perception because that's what we have to see. But he judges off the reality because he knows everything about every person. Isaiah's writing about this future Messiah, this rescuer. He's gonna see it for what it is. He won't miss a spot. He won't misjudge a heart or a person or a nation. He will cut right through it and see it. 
He will deal with you in a precise way. But when he pronounces his judgment, it is final as well. You have to remember, they are hearing these words from a prophet at a time when they were surrounded by the Assyrians, when they were surrounded by their nations, when there was infighting amongst their own southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And so you're feeling these words, and it's like, man, there's a lot of bad things happening, and you want God to rise up and defend you, but you also know you're doing some stuff and, and believe in some things you shouldn't be, and so you're caught in this rock in this hard place, and Isaiah's trying to, he's trying to speak hope. He's trying to preach hope into the people. He's saying, hey, I know it's tough, but one day there's one coming. But I want to let you know that this one coming, he is full of love and grace and mercy, and yet he is also the righteous judge. So it's not, it is both and, right? We always talk about that. That's why I shared, it's the love of God and the fear of the Lord. It is both and. It is the grace of God and the truth of God. It is both and. It is not a... Uh, you can't just have a grab bag Christianity of picking and choosing the, the characteristics or attributes of God that you like and feel most comfortable with and ignoring the other ones. Uh, does that mean it's like when you get married, it's the whole deal. You know what I'm saying? For better, or for worse. And sickness and in health. So when she's sick, you love her. When she's healthy, you love her. Right? When her baking is spot on, you love her. When it's off a little bit, you love her. Right? It's all in. It's not, oh, ugh. Wednesdays are good days. Saturdays, oh, we just kind of separate on Saturdays. Does it make any sense? He is calling us into this relationship that is all in. And he wants us to know. And the, the reason why I feel like so many times in the scriptures, you will see things about judgment or these coming days. It's a warning and it's, an, it's accountability. Uh, you know, I'm just saying like none of us, we, we don't really learn unless there's some level of consequence somewhere. I'm sorry, you can do whatever you want in your parenting methods. I'll just tell you what works. Okay, what works is consequences. If it's like, if there's no consequences in life at all, Okay, so let's say Jesus said, hey, you're loved by me, no matter what, do what you want, have a great life, we'll see you. What if that was the message of the kingdom? Do what you want, what you feel, how you wanna do it, we'll see you in heaven. It's gonna be great. Just go for it, man. Do whatever. That doesn't fly, because that would completely contradict his nature. He is the righteous judge as well, and he is holy. He demands holiness. Right? And in his presence. And so Jesus is the one who cleanses us from all unrighteousness and gives us that access, that opportunity to connect with God the Father, which is incredible. But you have to go through him. And, there, and, and, and when you look at the realities of how it is to live in this life, if we don't know that something is on the other end, then what deters us at all? We need that accountability. So we're talking about discipleship. You need someone to be in your life. You need to be open with your spouse and your kids. Hey, this, like, I would argue that probably my kids are some of my best accountability right now. You know, because there's, there's no sneaking around that. They, they see dad all the time, right? Early morning dad, midday feeling good dad, late night tired dad. They see all dad. It's like, you know, and I'm held in check by that. 
And there's a consequence, right? If I'm a jerk to my kids, that's going to put some distance between me and my kids. Well, how do I restore that distance? Apologize. Say, I'm sorry for being a jerk. I was too harsh with you. Let's talk about it. Will you forgive dad? Now let's move forward, right? That's why forgiveness is so needed in our walk with Jesus. Let's keep going. Isaiah 11, 6 through 8. The wolf shall dwell. Now, this is good. This is, this is a fun part right here. You ready? It's going to blow your mind. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Remember, Isaiah is speaking towards the future. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child put his hand on the adder's den. Predators and prey are no longer natural enemies. And this reality in the future. Now I'm going to take it literally here. Okay? Carnivores will see their very nature altered. Last I checked, lions don't eat grass. <laughs> nor do bears. Verse 7 says the cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together. Which means in the future, under God's perfect kingdom, the sun ruling and reigning, there's a picture perfect deal we're seeing of peace. All is well. Even natural enemies are now friends. <laughs> right? I mean, that's incredible for the toddler to just play with the cobra. Put it on his head. I mean, it just sounds ridiculous. The whole thing sounds ridiculous. You know? But he's painting a picture that the people would fully understand because they see lions. Not at this time, there's a lot more lions, just so you know. And lions would eat people. And eat animals. It's like people didn't have the pet lion thing. That wasn't a thing. Or the pet bear thing. Right? So he's painting a reality that it's going to be so good. So transformational. Is this kingdom so upside down from everything you've ever known that even the natural order of things is going to be flipped up on side's head. He's trying to wow the audience with nothing is impossible with God and nothing will be impossible with this shoot who comes out of the stump of Jesse because he will do things and say things that are just on another grid that we don't even have an understanding for. We can't even imagine what that's like. He's just giving us a glimpse. You know, in Romans 8, it says the whole creation has been groaning together. I love that. He speaks to the creation of God groaning, but that one day that competitiveness that leads people to power and hurting and wars and killing and destruction, it'll be gone. It'll be eradicated. This is the future kingdom. It goes on in verse 9 and 10. We'll wrap it up with these passages here. It says, they shall not her to destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
And that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. You know, you read these last words and you realize that Isaiah is prophesying about a future reality that we would not fully experience even when Jesus came in the form of a baby, baby and began his ministry. There were still wars. There's still sicknesses, diseases. He healed people of leprosy and blindness. That was all happening. But when Jesus was around, he brought us just a taste of that kingdom, didn't he? He made the blind see. He touched the leper. Instead of getting leprosy himself, they were cleansed, right? Forgiveness for those that have lived an entire life in utter rebellion towards God. Forgiveness, repentance is available. Like, he could even take someone that maybe lived 50 years, completely defiant, mass murderer, and would say, if you repent, I can cleanse you. I mean, that's the most impossible thing of it all. It's, it's, not, it's not lions, lions eating straw and grass. That'd be cool. That's a nice sideshow. But the most powerful thing is the utter transformed life of a human being that's done it all wrong, and God says, but still I love you enough. If you would yeah, come to me and humble yourself, I will cleanse you in a moment. Whoosh. I love it. I was talking to my, uh, to my brother over Thanksgiving. And they just got back from uh, being in a Central American country and were there ministering to some people. And they went to this place um, that had been running for about 15, 20 years. And it was like a rehab center. And he said, you know... Um, Drug addictions in Central America are pretty brutal. Um, we have drug addiction problems, of course, in America. But he said, it's on a pretty big scale. And you have people that are coming and you're hearing their stories. And he was sharing a story of a young lady who, you know, at 12 years old, started getting on crack and been addicted. And she's now in her late 30s. But told the story of her radical transformation coming to Christ. And he said at this rehab center, when these people come in, I mean, they are the lowest of the low, desperate, broken, I mean, literally on the verge of death. And they come in and he said, you know what they do? They just talk to them about Jesus. That's all they do initially. There's like no other help programs. And they say, if you, if you can't get Christ, we have nothing to help you with. And, you know, these people are coming in desperate. They're like, we're going to keep preaching Jesus. But until you surrender your life to Christ and believe he's really Lord and Savior, get clean, all the other stuff we can help you with, it's going to be short-lived. We want to do something that's going to be eternal, not just temporal. But he's sharing the stories of people's transformation. And he was just saying, man, I was just so blown away again at the mercy of God, at the miraculous cleansing and, and, you know, they bring people in and not only would they be saved, but then literally once they came to Christ, he said, I mean, they had stuff just cold turkey, like cut you off, not like a weaning program off drugs. Like we're done as of now. And they had to go through all the stuff, but he's like, and it was just a radical transformation from a worldly addiction that is literally destroying your body and your soul and your mind to God coming in and healing and even for some of them healing some of those places in their bodies that have been destroyed by drugs, but him restoring them, like physically. Because you gotta remember, God's interested in people being whole. 
not just saved. I want us to remember that. God's in the business of wholeness. He doesn't want you just to repent, absolutely. But he wants you to do what you were made to do. To live the way you were made to live. And to honor him in those ways. I'm going to invite the band to come on up as we get ready to close. I'm going to have you guys go and stand. Um, You know what I love about this passage in Isaiah is it gives so much clarity to the people then and for us now as to where we put our hope, what we believe for, what we are hoping to experience. And not only is he clear that it will come from the line of Jesse and David and so on, but it's also clear about this future reality, what we could be hopeful for. So when someone says to you, Maranatha, it seems to remind you, hey, I'm discouraged and down, but Maranatha. When something goes poorly in your relationships, a dating relationship or in marriage or your kids and maybe you're older and you've raised your kids and they're married off now, they're doing their life and they don't want to see you at Christmas and you're frustrated and you're discouraged, someone needs to say, Maranatha, remember, Jesus has come, he's coming again. One day, it won't be like that. Because church family, this world will not remind you of Christ. We have to remind one another. You have to be the ones reminding. You can't hope you're going to get that in an ad or an email from a friend. We are the ones called to encourage one another. And yes, our lives look very different than underneath the Roman Empire. (laughs) I'm not equating you that. But what I am saying is no matter what our struggles are or persecution is or the hopelessness maybe we feel, if we remind each other, hey, there's one who's coming. He's already come, but he's coming again. And I know it looks bleak, but hold on. And at this time of the year, I like to remember the saints who've gone before us, the men and women of God who for hundreds of years have had to hold on through really difficult times. And they held on, even to the end, hoping, believing Jesus is returning. He's coming back next year, next month. His own disciples thought he's coming back in their lifetime. He hasn't yet. But you remain hopeful. And you say, Maranatha, to one another. I want to pray. Jesus, we come before you this morning. And we say thank you for being that hope. Thank you that you came. Thank you that we know you're making all things new. Not just us individually as new creations in Christ, but even this world you'll make new. And Lord, we thank you that this time of year we have the opportunity to share the hope with someone else. We have the opportunity to share with a family member, with a friend, the coworker, with the customer. That every time that we think of this Christmas season, that we think of Jesus, you came and you made a way when there was no way. You made a way for us to be cleansed, to be forgiven, to have relationship, to have hope, to have joy, to have love, everything that this season's about. You're the one that made that possible. And Lord, yet we want to be a people that are hopeful and live in this place of expectation 
for what it will be like. Because on our worst days and the down moments, we need to picture what heaven will be like and not get stuck in our own spot, but to say, no, one day there are streets of gold. One day there is no more crying. There's no more pain. There's no more death. But until that day, we'll press on. We'll remain hopeful. We will share with people we can share with and live in a way that's gonna draw them into Jesus and trust in your timing. So Lord, we say thank you. We say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.